All right, everyone. Welcome to the Wish House podcast. I'm your host, Abraham Almanza. We're going to try something different this week. We actually are going to flip the script and we're going to have our Make-A-Wish of America CEO, Richard Davis, interview me. So you guys are in for a treat, something totally different. And I'm excited to for you guys as our listeners to kind of get to know me a little bit better um, since I'm a wish kid, too. So I have a story to tell as well. Abraham, good afternoon. Hello, hey. everybody listening in. As Abraham said, I'm Richard Davis. I'm the CEO of Make-A-Wish America. I'm coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, where we're headquartered. I've been with the organization for a little over two and a half years now. So compared to Abraham, I'm a newbie. But he uh, honored me with a podcast a few podcasts ago. And when we were completed, I realized that there's a better story to be heard uh, than certainly mine, and that's his. Um, And as he said in the opening, he is a wish kid. He's also a remarkable wish leader. And there's so much to be learned from this uh, this young man. So with your all's permission, let's learn a little more about Wish Kid Abraham. So Abraham, let's start out with um, a question that we didn't prepare. This is not choreographed by any means. But the responsibility of any of us who work for Make-A-Wish is first and foremost to tell the story, whatever the story means to us, and to gain people's interest in being part of this mission called Make-A-Wish with the intent to change the lives of these kids. That's something we all share. The obligation or responsibility of a wish kid is even greater because it's more personal. It's not someone else's story, it's your own experience and wait for it. And then to be invested with being a -A Make-A-Wish employee and having all of those responsibilities makes you one of the most important voices we could have in this wonderful mission that's now 41 years. It's not intended to put pressure on you. It's intended to help you appreciate that we also desperately want to learn more from a different approach, in this case, a wish kid. So let's start by telling the audience about your wish. Let's go all the way back to 1999. And if getting into that even beforehand is helpful, let's take a minute and let you tell us a little bit about you, the wish kid. Yeah, thanks, Richard. So, um, yeah, my story is very unique, and I'll start right from the beginning of how it the whole this whole journey started. Um, so I was a junior in uh, in high school. I was taking uh, final exams. It was around this time of the year, actually, maybe about Mayish. Um, and I, my, I remember my dad was uh, was used to drive me to to school, especially during tests, because it was uh, you know buses, you know schedules were kind of crazy. So I remember being in the car with my dad, my aunt, who was living with us at the time, and uh, and my younger brother. It was the four of us in the car. The previous night, it had rained, and we were at the bottom of a hill at a red light, um, when all of a sudden, we, we just kind of, in seconds, we saw a car kind of coming down the hill really quickly, um, didn't break, and just completely hit us from behind. I was involved in a, in a car accident. Now, on the surface, it wasn't that bad. There was no broken bones. There was no you know bloodshed or anything like that. It was just you know, very strong kind of whiplash kind of experience. And so uh, we immediately, you know, went to the emergency room um, through that, uh, our insurance, you know, asked for me to go get x-rays done. And literally from, you know, early May to, you know, maybe two or three weeks later, I went from a kid going to take a test in his high school to then finding out that he has stage four lung cancer. It was like, it happened that quickly because when I was getting the x-rays done, uh, they found some shadows in my lungs and they didn't know where, what that was about. They thought at first it was the film. They took it multiple times and said, this doesn't seem right. You're 15 years old. Um, 
you can't be, you can't, I mean, well, why would you have tumors right. all over your, your lungs? And so ultimately they, the, the next step was for them to do a biopsy of, uh, to find out whether this was a benign tumor, um, or was it malignant? And so I went in for what was supposed to be a one hour procedure to get this biopsy done, which, you know, for those that are listening, I mean, they, when you're getting a biopsy done, they give you a needle that's, I think like six or eight inches long, it, feel, it felt like, um, and they get this needle, they could go right into, uh, for me, right into my lungs. And uh, they took a sample. But during that process of doing that, I caught a fever, and the fever would not subside. And so I was there for a few days. And during that time frame, they received the results and immediately told me that this was a malignant uh, cancerous tumor and we needed to treat it right away. About maybe a, a, a mo- little less than a month later, I went into like getting radiation to help stunt the growth a little bit and then start the whole process of getting treatment, which was chemotherapy. And, you know, at the time, I prior to that, I had played sports my entire life. I had physicals every single year. I don't suffer right. from asthma, nothing. And all of a sudden, my life was kind of turned upside down. And I say my life, but ultimately, my entire family's life was turned upside down because, you know, my parents are, are you know, they raised us in, in, in deep faith and, and they were, you know, praying, hoping that everything would be okay. But at the same time, you know, this is their son and they're helpless to try to help, you know, that, you know, him, in this case, me. So that's kind of how the medical journey was kind of that fast. Uh, and then I went right into treatment and was there on and off for about eight to nine months. Um, and I didn't get the full kind of done with you know treatment until the end of December, early January of um, 1999. So I was diagnosed in 1998, January of 99. I was somewhat in the clear. And it was that summer that I was uh, able to go on my wish, um, which my wish was to go on a cruise to the Bahamas and Bermuda. Uh originally, because I'm a huge Yankees fan, I wanted it to be a Yankees related wish. Um, My original wish was actually I wanted to dress from head to toe in full uniform and be in the dugout for a World Series Yankees game. That was my, that's what I wanted. Oh, man. For make a wish. Let's stop there for a minute. So I want to get to the wish. But first of all, you kind of see the serendipity in this unexpected circumstance that gave you the treatment as early as you needed it to. And you know, the journey starts medically for all of our kids, just like you're telling your story. And I'm going to do a little bit of educating, too, while we have this podcast, because the next thing we hope for in the Make-A-Wish world is that the physicians that are taking care of our children understand the power of Make-A-Wish and are not hesitant to refer them to get a wish. And the reason I say that, as you know this as well, Abraham, but we have a still a percentage of people in America that think Make-A-Wish is the last wish of a dying child. And that's how we started, by the way. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're a physician and you believe that to be true, you're less likely to refer a child to Make-A-Wish under the thought that you believe you're giving up on them or the parents will believe you're giving up on them. So in this case, a physician had to be in the, in the story that said, after the therapies are created, after all the chemo and all the radiation, there's something else we need to put in this child's life, which is the hope that comes from Make-A-Wish. So if we can pick up the story there, tell us how you got word or your parents got word that you were a Make-A-Wish kid, and then, then take, take us to how you selected the wish that you picked. 
Yeah, that's great. Uh, because for, for my family, volunteering or charities was not something we were familiar with at all. Um, I'm a first generation American. Uh, my parents immigrated here from Nicaragua, which is in Central America. And um, they came here with nothing. Um, and they really built something out of, out of that. Uh, so coming here to the United States, even then, was a miracle in itself because my parents came here as a result of you know a, a war, a civil war that was going on in Nicaragua at the time, right, and so they right. came here as almost political refugees, um, and we were able to you know establish ourselves here. My mom came pregnant with me here to the United States, so okay. it's only by chance that I was here in the United States. Had this yes. happened to me in Nicaragua, I probably would not be here speaking to you at all. Um, That's probably uh, true. So I, I was very fortunate one to have been born here. Um, to have had many opportunities as a result of that. And really it started with my parents, you know, journey here to the United States. But with that said, so when we were first approached to, uh, you know, by Make-A-Wish representatives, and in our case, a, a social worker at the hospital, we didn't know anything about that. We had no uh, idea, no baseline of what this was, you know, also being a kid from the Bronx and a family that was growing up in the Bronx, which, you know, is, is one of the boroughs in New York City, you know, anyone that comes up to you and says, hey, we have something here for you for free. You're, never, you're never true. yeah. Run the other way. What's the catch? You know, right. what are you, what do you really want? You know, so it was, I kept on pushing them off. So the social worker kept on offering this as an opportunity as something that I can take advantage of, you know, during this period of time to, again, give me hope, give me something to look forward to. And I kept oh, yeah. on saying, I also, just with a little bit that she had told me, I almost also was under the impression that this is not for me. I mean, these are kids that are going to be a lot sicker than I am. Needless to say, I was, you know, in the midst of a stage four lung cancer. <laughs> I'd say you qualify. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I totally qualified, but in my mindset, I was like, I, there's other kids that deserve this more than, than, than I do. And so after a few you know, visits with this social worker and, and her further having patience, which I think also was extremely important, nice. being patient to work with me at my pace, you know, right. even just at the referral process, just by giving me the opportunity to, to have conversations with her. Eventually, I was able to be accepting of this amazing gift that I was being offered. And as a result of that, you know, that's how everything kind of snowballed, you know, during one of the visits that I, the first visits that I had, which I should preface this by saying that I was under a lot of um, medication and and sure. uh, and drugs, and so a lot of this these memories are I've Glorious. pieced together over the years through yeah. recollection, small recollections, along with stories that my parents have told me along the way. Because I mean, chemo yeah. fog I feel is a real thing. Um, right. You know, I've right. talked to a lot of alumni that have gone through chemo and they kind of face similar challenges. So that's a real thing with those types of memories at that time. Great point. But, Great point. But what was interesting was that, um, you know, they came to visit me at the house, um, very, very sweet volunteers. And again, also had patience with me because again, I was still kind of in that state of, is this for real? What is right. this really about? Um, yeah. And, you know, we started exploring all the possible types of wishes that I could have. And again, because I was a huge Yankees fan, that was immediately what I first went to when I thought of what I wanted as a wish. And um, but after some thought, I also one of the most important things that I wanted for my for my wish was to celebrate it and to experience it with my family, the ones that were with right. me from the beginning through this entire process of treatment. And so my wish kind of evolved and it was to go to the Bahamas and Bermuda because I wanted to go somewhere to really celebrate this new beginning of my life. And I wanted to go somewhere where I could, 
you know, take my shirt off and go on the beach and just have a lot of fun. And, right. um, and I was, uh, and that's kind of how the cruise came about and, and, and the Bahamas. And I have to say, it was one of the most amazing experiences I ever had from the moment I got picked up at my house in the limo, taken down to through the West side highway to the port. And I was able to get onto the, uh, the, the, uh, the queen, the queen Elizabeth two and wow. uh, through a Cunard, uh, cruise line ship. And, and it was just, and it just from the, from that moment, it was like I was in a different world, a yes. world that I had never been exposed to in my life prior, um, right. where, you know, we had never gone truly as a family to like on a huge right. family trip, much less on a cruise. Um, so this was kind of a first for a lot of things. And it was absolutely amazing. Um, so, let, so let's let's unpack that a little bit. You gave a lot of clues along that wonderful story. One was the kids are very selfless. I don't know what it is about wish kids. They're mature beyond their years and they're remarkably generous. And when you said, you know, another kid should have the wish, not me. It's important for people to know we don't pick the kids. Every kid gets the wish. And that's something that is important for listeners to know too, because we really want to find the one true wish. The second thing you said was the wish you came in thinking isn't the one you walked out with. And it wasn't because anyone talked you out of it. It's because we have volunteers and staff who are trained at the skill of wish discovery. Um, another way to say it is if the child says, I want to go visit a castle, they didn't say I have to go to Disney, might be, but let's understand why you like castles. And you find out it's really medieval times you like best and you find it's actually, you know, the uh, the fact of the um, uh, the, the mid middle ages and all the beauty that happened there. And then you find out and the wishes become different. It could be a Renaissance fair or something different. So. For those of you listening, there's a real skill set that our team has in helping with the wish discovery. And the last thing I think that is important to reflect is when you talked about how the wish was wonderful, you started with leaving the house on the and the wish is it starts way before the moment you landed on the cruise line. Um, and I will say from my experience here over a couple of years, when I've had the chance to be at a wish. Or wish reveal or add a wish itself. I've had occasions where siblings, usually teenage siblings who are you know pretty well spoken, have come up to me because I was already introduced in the crowd as somebody with make a wish. And this one young team, it was a boy and a girl, both in their early teens, came up to me and said, Hey, Mr., you're with make a wish, right? And I said, Yeah, I'm the old guy from make a wish. And they said, Thank you so much for taking care of my little brother. And we said, I said, Well, this is this is our privilege, so delighted to have this chance. And they both said, as an adult would, look at our parents' face right now. They didn't say, look at our brother's face. And they said, you have to understand, this is the first time we've all been together without the focus on the situation. But we're here, and everyone's being a family for the first time in a long time. And I thought that was so profound. And you said so much the same. You picked the wish to celebrate your family as part of the journey that they had been through. So now, just because we got to hear how it goes on, tell us a little bit about the wish itself. Uh, the wish was amazing. And I also forgot to mention, because of that journey that my parents you know, took from Nicaragua to come to the United States, 
because I was so fortunate to have been born here, one of my favorite holidays has always been the 4th of July. So oh, I yeah. wanted it to be, yes. um, you know, kind of aligned with that. And that was kind of the heart of the wish was I wanted to go on a cruise, but I wanted to celebrate the 4th of July in the middle of the ocean, which I was able to experience, which was exactly. again, phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I mean, to go back to the beginning of, of just that whole experience on the cruise, I mean, I just remember walking up the ramp and being greeted like 30,000 times, um, just welcoming me to, to the cruise liner. Um, I remember walking around with my younger brother, because I also should mention that I, that on the cruise, I went with my both my mom and my dad, along with my older sister, who's 10 years older than me, and my younger okay. brother, who's six years younger than me. Yeah. Um, I also have an older brother who was already out the house and wouldn't have uh, been eligible to go on the wish as a participant, but he was there in spirit. Um, right. But it was all of us. It was the four of us there in, in the uh, excuse me, the five of us there in the uh, on the cruise. And I just remember with my younger brother being completely taken aback by the fact that there was a, a almost a full court basketball uh, yeah. court oh, on oh. the cruise liner. <laughs> yeah, we were like, well, we could play basketball here like throughout this whole time, which we did. Um, oh, yeah. We played basketball and shuffleboard. And um, there was a hot tub there, uh, which was one of it was the first time I had ever one seen a hot tub or even been right. in one. Right. Um, it, those two, those were like the initial kind of uh, like amazing moments. And then when we actually were, uh, able to walk down to the, the cabin that we were staying at, um, we had two cabins, you know, we were split in half, my two parents with my younger brother. And then it was my sister and I, um, right. and we were, and I just remember standing in the in there and, and just saying like is this like for real because i can see the porthole there yeah it yeah. was like a porthole and i see water everywhere and like in the movies like oh, cartoons absolutely yeah. and then it was also kind of like the whole thing with like the boat is moving so you have right. to get used to like you <laughs> know right. this is like just your body kind of gets used to the, the the change but um that was amazing and, and one of my favorite things uh for those that know me you know they know that i enjoy music and i love music and um, so I was able to, you know, be a part of the karaoke that was that they would yeah. have every evening at, at their at, you know, for the activities that they um, presented right. to all the, the guests and, you know, got to meet some interesting people. There was a, I remember vividly meeting a woman um, who was on the ship. I think this was like at the time when I arrived, it was like her third month on it. So she was like on a, she had just yeah. retired and she was like, I'm going to I'm on this for a year and I'm no. going all over the world. And I'm just like, this is amazing. Um, so just a, like just moment. You never would have met. Yeah, never would so, have met. So let's let's finish this part of the trip because we've gone from the very beginning now. We'll get to your role right and make a wish in Hudson Valley, but as you look back on the wish this many years later, what do you remember most about it in your heart, not your head? Yeah, what I remember the most is feeling like this is a new, like I said before, a new beginning. This is a new chapter in my life because. As I mentioned before, I wanted to experience going to the beach because right. for many months I wasn't able to take a normal shower that we right. all take for granted. And I think that's something that people forget when you're in the hospital and you're, I had chest tubes put in to yes. drain liquid out of my lungs. I had all these, you know, multiple, you know, tubes and things. And so ultimately just the freedom of being released from all of that. And right. then to look forward to then being able to just go to a beach and stick your toes in the sand and, you know, run across the water. I mean, that was, um, you know, that was amazing. And having conversations with my, like my dad, you know, cause my dad, you know, grew up in the mountains of Nicaragua and, you know, he loved the beach. And so we were all just having so much fun at the beach. And, um, and it was just a lot of fun just to kind of, again, be a family, um, 
minus my older brother. But again, he was there right. in spirit. But it was just great for us to be connected with each other after so, so many months of treatment and just turmoil amongst ourselves because everybody, you know, my dad never left my side. I mean, he slept at the hospital every single night. And if he wasn't there, you know, someone else was. It was right. I was never left alone at the right. hospital, which at the time I was being treated at, uh, in the Bronx at, at Montefiore, uh, hospital. And, you know, at the time, you know, they made, they, they helped me out, you know, they, they didn't necessarily need to leave. They didn't right. want to allow someone to be there every single night, but they did. Right. And, they did. and the nurses were amazing. I remember my experience that with them was, you know, be going through chemo. You know, sometimes you go into these moments where you're, you're, you, you don't eat. Right. So, sure. you know, there were moments also that I was hungry and I would be not just hungry, but I would be craving something very particular. And right. again, being a kid from the Bronx, it would either be Mr. Softy soft serve ice cream or it would yeah, be, yeah, yeah. you know, McDonald's or it would be something very, you know, quick and not, and not right there, though, not at the hand. Exactly. Right. But this is where nurses are just absolutely amazing. And they always will hold a special place in my heart because I got close with one of the nurses there at the hospital. And she would always ask me every time she was there, she would say, are you in the, are you craving for anything? And I would always tell her, yeah, I'm actually in the mood for some rice and beans and some pernil, which is a type which is a, a pork. Um, so right. Spanish food. So she would be like, when I go out on my lunch, I'm going to go grab that for you. And she would go and on her own, she would go yeah. grab it for me. She would bring me. And, and sometimes I would feel horrible because I would only be able to eat like one or two bites because I just sure. would start getting nauseous. But the fact that she would go out of her way to do that for me was something that I will never forget. Um, right. It was absolutely, I mean, nurses to me are they're, the, um, they're angels on, on earth. They really are. Agree. They so give Abraham, so much of themselves. You know, it's funny because a year ago in April, we celebrated our 40th anniversary at make witch and we had huge plans, as you know, including a lot of interviews, uh, Good Morning America, we were going to open the stock exchange, and all that got lost in the early days of COVID. But I also remember doing some interviews still by um, audio and video for some media outlets. And this one person said to me, in the throes of this pandemic, tell me how we can consider Make-A-Wish essential. Because she was thinking about Feeding America, which is a remarkable organization helping put food on the table. And organizations that help people find jobs who had lost their jobs in the first many weeks of the pandemic. And without hesitation, because of stories like yours, I said, oh, that's easy. I said, in a time like this, and it's a world issue, can you think of anything people want more than hope? And I said, Make-A-Wish is hope. And it's embodied not just by the children, but all the people in their story. And those nurses are part of that story. Uh, it's, a, it's this whole community and I don't know how you feel about this as an adult now, but I've had some of the kids, even teenagers who have recently had their wish, they would say to me, the biggest surprise besides the wish was all these people I don't even know care about me. All these people I'll never, I've never met seem to be really interested in me and they, they're there for me and they're praying for me and they're, they're offering themselves forever. And they, they said, I just didn't know people would do that. So I don't know if you have that same feeling, but one of the greatest things that make it wish is the hope and the people that are part of that story. I can't agree with you more. Like I said, I was a city kid who constantly had to look over his shoulder or kind of be aware of the, of, of his surroundings. Yeah. Um, it's just the way you grow up. It's just the way it is. So right. all of a sudden to be thrust into a world of kindness that this make a wish, you know, world Perfect. is all about. It's one of those things that um, it changed me. You know, in a deep and profound way, because I started seeing that there is goodness in people exactly. that they are willing to give you a gift, 
without asking anything in return. And that was one of those things that touched me deeply because then I saw, wow, there really are good people out in the world. It's not everything you just see on the T on TV or what you hear, you know, this, oh, yeah. these, there are real people that are out there doing amazing work and helping kids like me who were yes. going through a very difficult time. And, and, and they're not and like doing I, it for credit. They're not doing it for visibility. They, they do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Now you, you embody the next level of paying it forward. Um, it's remarkable. So many of the wish kids that I've met continue to volunteer and do amazing things because they feel that they have a mission to pay that forward and whatever that means. You do that and then some. You're a perfect beacon of light for all of us. So for a better part of your whole life, you've been affiliated with Make-A-Wish in some way or other. You now are the director of marketing and volunteers at the Hudson Valley chapter. And I'd love you to tell us briefly how you came to come back to us and what you do right now in your role in Hudson Valley. We'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, you know, like most wish kids after their wish is granted, they feel an immense amount of joy and, and, and hope, as you've mentioned. Um, and at the same time, they want to give back in some way that the, the challenge sometimes are is really just how. Um, right. And so back in the day, I mean, there was a, a kind of like a general sense that, you know, once a wish is granted, no strings attached, you know, there was, you know, the, on the on the side of the chapters, we were we were not reaching out directly to the families unless they reached out to us first. Right. Um, and then the, once that door was open, then conversations would happen, but it wouldn't really happen the other way around. So for me, I went through a period of time where I just wanted to go back to my normal, quote unquote, life before I got sick, which was, right. I just wanted to go back to high school. And my, my goal right after I got sick and after I went on my wish was I need to graduate with my class because my class was the class of 2000. It was that millennium class. So I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to graduate in 2001. Right. Right. <laughs> I want to be in 2000. I'm destined for 2000. Right? Exactly. So I could, I just kind of, that was my focus. So once I graduated from high school in 2000, um, which now thinking about it, it's, you know, over 20 years, which feels like it right. was yesterday. Um, so, you know, when I graduated from high school, I went into college and then, you know, college then takes over. And then that whole experience of, you know, going through that collegiate life. So once college was um, was done, so I graduated in 2004, I went on this whole kind of um, self-discovery sort of thing where, OK, I had graduated from high school. I graduated from college. A lot of my friends were going to continue to their education with master's programs and, and sure. other things. And I was like, is this where I'm going? Like, am I going in that direction? So for me, I needed a kind of a pause. And what I, I went back to my roots, which again was my faith. And so I went out and became a missionary. And so I was, I was living out in, in Florida uh, for a year and I visited in Turks and Caicos to different communities trying to help, you know, the, you know, help them in their, in their growth in faith. So that was kind of where I was in 2004, 2005 ish. When right. I came back to the, to the United States, to, uh, to New York, I had to get a job. So I just got any, any old job. Um, and as I was going through that, I didn't, I wasn't fulfilled obviously with what I was doing. So I said to myself, I have to, I have to do something. And then immediately make wish kind of popped back into my head and I was, I have to give back. So I reached out to our local chapter here at Hudson Valley multiple times, not only in college, but all throughout these years, all the years, but I never, it was never the right time. Never was the right, right. moment. But it was around this time of 2005, 2006, when I received a letter um, from Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley uh, 
invited me to be part of what they were calling at the time an alumni group, which was comprised of kids that received wishes. And in the beginning, there was also siblings and parents that were involved. Um, and they were just getting this group together to kind of see how they wanted to get in, back involved with Make-A-Wish. Yeah. So nice. that was the door that I needed. That was the, nice. the, the, the push that I, that I, that was waiting for me there. Um, and I got involved with the alumni committee in 2006. I, I, I started going to their meetings and got to meet other alumni, which was the first time I had met other alumni kids, right. kids, you know, we were in our early twenties in some cases yeah. and we were, we were meeting for the first time. We had all very different wishes. Um, I, you know, I've interviewed Brian Chin who had us wish to meet Ozzy Osbourne. I've, you know, I'm hoping right. to interview another one of our, uh, uh, original alumni committee members in Shauna White, who her nice. wish was to meet Britney Spears. Um, sure. You know, so there was all these different wishes and Angela Big, her wish was to go to Paris and Lauren Kennedy, her wish was to meet the WNBA uh, New York Liberty. So we had all very different wishes. And, and I know I'm forgetting some and I apologize in advance for those alumni that are listening. <laughs> um, but there were so many of us and so many amazing wishes, Disney wishes and all other types that I started seeing, wow, there was, you know, that which was amazing. Like, I didn't even think of that or, you know, this. And so, and we all, and I also got to see that they were just like me struggling through the figuring out of what is right. next? How do I get involved? How do I give back? And this alumni committee was that first step towards that. And through that experience, I was volunteering my time. I was, I went through the pot or the process of becoming a volunteer um, and a speaker started sharing my story, like I'm doing today with you. Uh, and then there was an opportunity that I, at, at the job that I was not enjoying, where I said, I'm going to take a week off and I am going to just find a new job. And so I took a week off and I, you talk about serendipity, right? So I took the week off, was interviewing in all these different places. And it was during this time that I got a call from our VP of Program and Operations and Denise and D'Amico. Mm -hmm. And she called me asking, hey, are you still interested in, in somehow joining the staff? And I was like, well, funny you say that. I just took this entire week off to interview to try to find a new job. I would love to interview and be considered. And um, and that's kind of how um, it happened. And literally, I went in, I think, later on that week, I went in for the interview. And I think less than a week later, they um, they put out the offer and I was able to then accept it and join the staff. And I've been there ever since. They haven't been able to get rid of me, Richard. They, it's I been 2007 know. since I've uh, joined the staff. I don't think anybody wants to get rid of you, in fact. There is a lot of serendipity in all of our Make-A-Wish stories. It's remarkable how there's, you can call it faith, you can call it luck, but everybody finds that in these journeys. Now, we're going to wrap up soon, but I have one really last big question I want you to reflect on. And that would be if you had only an elevator, not far from you to the top of a hundred stories. So you had 45 seconds to a minute to talk to somebody who saw your shirt that you're wearing today that says Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley and said, oh, I've heard of Make-A-Wish. Is there any way for me to get involved? What would you say in that one minute that you have? How could you con condense everything you feel and know to get them at least to take your phone call when you arrive to the floor you're looking at? I will tell them that you can get involved as right now. You know, it's very easy. You, you, here's, your, here's our website. Here are all the different ways you can you can get involved. You want to get involved by giving of your time, donating your time. We have opportunities like that. Do you want to get involved by working on wishes directly? Um, we can offer you an opportunity like that. Do you want to work more behind the scenes and work at events or work in the office? We have opportunities like that. Which way do you want to go? Because 
anywhere you go, there's an opportunity. I mean, everything, even at our local chapter, we have, you're getting married. We have a program for that. Yes. Yes. Do you have any brand new toys that your kids haven't opened yet and you can't get rid of it? We have opportunities for that. Donate them to us for our toy closet. You know, do you have, you know, a car that's been sitting in your garage that you're never going to work on um, that is not working, but you want to clear out the space? We'll take it off your hands through our Wheels for Wishes program. So there's programs for everything in all throughout your life. If you're, you know, five years old, you're just getting into school and you can get involved in our Kids for Wish Kids program all the way through until you're 17 years old through high school. So there are opportunities from the moment literally you're born or, you know, to the, to, to then having, leaving a legacy behind through our you know, legacy of wishes program, which there are so, so many different ways. So we reached our floor and what you did was without us talking about it, is exactly what I'd hope for is that people who love us don't know how to become part of us. And you went right to the core, which is there are more ways than you can imagine. And we need you now. And so for those listening who either have been longstanding volunteers or alums, or those who are just learning more about this organization, we would love you now. Uh, we have kids waiting for wishes. We have opportunities to celebrate your experience, maybe your connections, maybe you're a contract, you can help us with some of our builds. Maybe you're a travel agent, you can help us with some of our trips. But the skills we will match, as long as you walk in the door saying, put me to work, or put me in coach, I wanna play. So Make-A-Wish has this wonderful story that started in 1980, as you know, Abraham, with a boy whose mother wanted him to have his last wish, to be as a trooper, a police officer in Arizona, which is why we're headquartered here. Up until 1993, for 13 years, we were an organization for the last wish. It was lovely and beautiful. And then in 1993, we started to move out of the US and became Make-A-Wish, including now in 40 other countries. But we also then became the organization for hope that allows children referred by their physicians and their families to experience the hope of community and support and have a wish that has now been proven, as you know so well, as good as the therapy and the medicine itself. So we have a story to tell as many as people as we can. The doors are wide open to have you walk through and join us. And there's a kid at the end of every story. And I never round to the number of wishes. Uh, so far this year, in the COVID year, and this taping of this is late June, we will have exceeded 10,000 wishes in this fiscal year. And that's about 60% of a normal year. But hear that. We didn't stop. The kids didn't stop. Wishes continued. And we're going to look forward to as the vaccines come about and we can get everybody back on, on cue. We've put some wishes on hold so that they don't lose the wish they want. In your case, the cruise would have been put on hold, but if that's what you wanted to wait for, we still would have done it. And so it's a remarkable organization that has been able to manage the very winds of this thing called COVID-19. And we've not only done well by it, but we're stronger for it. So let me do a quick kind of a power round here, a lightning round with you on a few questions that I want people to hear your thoughts. Sure. It's the age-old question that we all hate and love, which is what is your favorite Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley memory or wish? Yeah, I would have to go back to the first wish I took part in, um, which was before I joined the staff. It was in 2006 when I was in that alumni committee uh, period, and I was invited by the chapter along with my other um, 
members of the alumni committee to take part in a wish to serve okay. as a, a security detail for a wish kid. His wish was nice. to be, his name is Donovan. Uh, his wish was to be uh, a silver ranger. And so we had a premiere for his his movie because they, they filmed an entire movie at the wish house um, nice. where he saved the wish house from intergalactic aliens. Um, right. And so they did this amazing video as a keepsake for him. And then we premiered it at a, at a, at an amazing theater. Um, and so I served as a security detail for him. So we, our, our, our direction was very simple, dress in all black and wear sunglasses. I was like, I got I love it. it. Black love is my it. favorite color. I'm love down. It. So I, I, you know, so I did that and, and, and it was the first time I had met a wish kid. Um, and I remember I had the honor of being able to want to be the one to open the door for uh, the limo door when he came out to the red carpet to walk in. And I just remember um, thinking how I was just so happy to have been a part of it and seeing how happy he was. Yes. It was one of the most uh, amazing things for go. me because then I was just like, I'm good. I mean, like, this is great. Like, this is where I should be. This is the work that I need to be doing. And which is why from that moment on, I just wanted to get involved in anything I could do. As long as it, I, I was able, available, um, I was there for it. And I also Thank forgot to for mention that. earlier that, you know, the, the other crazy thing is that I went on my wish. The dates for my wish was were July 2nd through July 9th and my, yeah. in, in 1999. When uh -huh. I started at Make-A-Wish, it was July 9th. So you talk about a continuation oh, yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seven years later, um, it was just, or eight years later, whatever it was, right. it was just absolutely um, amazing. Well, so anytime I celebrate. Anniversary is coming up here, July 9th. We'll all think of you. Yeah. Uh, next quick question. You are now a partner at Make-A-Wish. You help grant these wishes. You know, everybody at Hudson Valley, you've known them for 15 years. There are 58 other chapters in America and people doing what you do. What would you say to your peers who you've never met about this organization you're a part of? I will tell them to, to stick with it. Um, I know there are moments that are frustrating at times, challenging, sometimes heartbreaking because we work with a right. population of kids that not all of them unfortunately make it. Um, and sometimes right. you also see a lot of our kids that have a progressive or degenerative um, condition. So you see them like, Perfect example, like Donovan, I just mentioned when I first met him, he uh, was still still had the ability to walk. Um, and then as you know, the years have gone on, he then went to a scooter and then sure. you know, then we, now he's in a wheelchair. So you see this. And but what what I what I why I tell them to stick with it is because through those challenges, um, you are building an amazing connection with wish kids and their families. Um, I still I still speak to Donovan from time to time and his family. A lot of the wish kids that I uh, even worked on directly when I first uh, started volunteering, you know, they, they, they've been around. Um, yes. And I think the, the I think the way the special thing about it are the relationships you're building with families, with kids, with your fellow cohorts, your, 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 your the employees you work with, because, you know, I've had the benefit of getting to know a lot of amazing staff all around the country, especially at Make-A-Wish America, um, you know, through the years and building amazing relationships with them that are beyond the office. Yes. I mean, we have shared yes. interests, whether it's, you know, barbecue or, you know, animation or cartoons or movies, right. you know, so right. I, I, I stay in contact throughout the year with many people um, all around the country that I've met through Make-A-Wish. And so it, what I feel is like, if you want to be part of a family, because uh, you have family, everyone has a family, everyone has a family everyone. of origin, and everyone also has extended family that you don't see all the time, but when right. you see them, it's like, you never, you know, you, you never lost you never time. Missed. 
Exactly. So that's kind of how I feel with Make-A-Wish. It's like an extended part of my family that I see, you know, from time to time. And it's like, we pick up right where we left off and it's always a lot of fun. It's a place where I feel supported. It's a place where I feel that, uh, that we all have a common goal and mission, which is to impact lives. Um, yes. I forgot to mention that when I was in college and when I was right before I started with Make-A-Wish, I was in the, pro- I was, I went to my master's program. I started working, um, towards a degree oh. in master's in, uh, in a master's in marriage and family therapy. So I was going towards the direction of working with families in crisis, working with individuals that were going through a difficult time. So it kind of made the perfect sense for them, for me to take all that, all that skill Absolutely. that I had learned in school and apply it to what I was doing. And at the time when I first started with Make-A-Wish, it started as a volunteer manager. So I started working directly with volunteers and utilizing some of those skills for that. And then kind of slowly progressed and moved into the marketing side and sharing our story in a variety of different mediums, whether it's social media or in print. or Because it can be told so many different ways. And in the perfect form that we're doing now, which is a podcast, which was something we had thought about three years ago and it was just not the right time. And then, you know, here comes the pandemic and we were like, well, we can't meet each other. We can't see each other in person. We can't do this or that. But here's something we can do. We can meet through Zoom. We can through have these conversations now um, in a different way and in an audio form. And we had never seen that before um, done. So the fact that we. So let's wrap up two questions and then we'll let everybody go on their way. Um, second to last question. Um, what is the one thing you wish everybody knew about Make-A-Wish? What's the one thing that continues to surprise you that if they know it, it's a opportunity to have enlightened them on something this important? I think it's what you mentioned before. Most people in the United States still think that Make-A-Wish is for kids that are terminally ill. Um, right. And so when, when I tell them, hey, I work for Make-A-Wish, they're like, wow, that's amazing. How is it that you work for them? I mean, it must be so sad because you see all the kids pass away. I'm like, right. no, I'm exactly. a wish kid and I'm still here. So exactly. and there's many other wish kids that are still here and they're making an impact in their local community in their own way. Not necessarily just with Make-A-Wish, but in you know, just being a yeah, paying it forward, being a part of society, right. you know, whether right. it's just, you know, working at the at a local uh, post office or working in law enforcement or working anywhere, but they are part of this, of our co- kind of bigger community. They're here and they have a story to tell. And which is why we wanted to share them through this form. Uh, this so let me, let me, let me just add to that for the listeners. Paying it forward, I've used a couple of times, but we're both helping people realize we don't measure the success of Make-A-Wish on the life or death of the child, we measure the impact while they're here. And if you live longer, then the impact goes longer. But it's nonetheless important for those who may have a shortened life. And in many cases, the family members carry that torch for that child and do exactly what the child might have done in terms of paying it forward. So we have a beautiful alumni out there numbering over 300,000 kids. And think of the people and their families around them and the caregivers and the physicians This is a mission that has no other peer and a mission that while it's not completely understood is revered because it's all about hope and giving back. So last question, what would the one word be that you would use to describe Make-A-Wish? Impactful, that'll be my word. Because it does make an impact in, in, in everyone that's touched by it. Um, they are left, they're not, they're not, they don't leave the same way when they are exposed to a wish, whether it's the wish kid themselves, a family, sibling, community member, a corporate sponsor, someone that takes part in a wish in some you know, way. You yes. are, once you know who that child is and what the wish was about and why they chose that wish, 
you or you're you're changed forever because then you see how powerful a wish can actually be. Brilliantly said. As we close, I want you to know how proud I am and we are of you. How grateful we are that you're here to be the ambassador of not only your childhood story, but your young adult story. As a peer of yours working for this organization, I think we do have the best jobs in the world, but they are risky and they're fraught with high emotion, but it's worth it. And Make-A-Wish is an investment in the best ROI, return on investment you could have, which is children. And children believing that there's a community of people around them that care about them and love them like a big hug and give them the chance to depart from the otherwise difficult circumstances they're facing and have a moment or many moments to think about something fun, to look forward to it, to live it, to look back on it, and in some cases, do it for someone else. And my friend, you are doing all of those things. So on behalf of all of us who've listened to your podcast, thank you for letting us turn the tables today to celebrate you. I know you're very humble and you hate that, but it's a responsibility you have as a partner to hear your story and to tell it widely. Continue with these podcasts. They're very, very valuable. Thank you, Abraham. Thanks for the privilege of being your partner and your friend. And it's been an honor to interview you. Well, thank you so much, Richard. It has been truly, uh, this has been amazing. Uh, I mean, this whole journey of Make-A-Wish for me has been touching from left to right. And, um, you know, every every day is a brand new experience that just continues to add to my love for Make-A-Wish and and what what it's all about, which is, again, touching people's lives in a deep and meaningful way. Um, and, and you're a part of that. So I appreciate well, your, your willingness we to love chat you. with We me. love you back. So congratulations. And um, I'm looking forward to your future podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Thank everybody, you. for listening. Thank you. To our listeners, remember, you can always refer to our show notes for additional information about the topics we discussed today. We invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast to help us reach as many people as possible about our wonderful mission. Special thanks to the executive producers of the Wish House podcast, Jillian Rodriguez and Sydney Wolf. Shout out to Wish alum Brian Chin for providing our podcast theme music. And finally, from all of us at the Wish House, stay safe and healthy.